And on the campaign trail, during our debates, I was telling her story, telling, you know, those experiences. And that's how you have to connect. And that's the, that power that you have as a candidate, because not only are you meeting people, you have that opportunity to be a voice for them. And that's what I loved about it, because you're there, you're trying to be not only just a candidate and let people know who you are, but you have that opportunity to be a voice for them, too. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interest in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate and, if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello, and welcome to Political Contessa. This is Jennifer Nassor, and I am your Political Contessa. Today on my show, I have with me former congressional candidate Alan Fung. Alan was the oldest child in his family, grew up in the diverse south side of Providence, Rhode Island, and he actually lived the American dream. The American dream I talk about all the time, you know, of going to school, getting your education, being able to find a career, buy a home, and live out your life in America, that kind of American dream. He was able to pursue his world of the American dream. His family left their family and friends in Hong Kong and came to America without knowing a word of English. And they sacrificed so much for their children to give them a better life. Alan worked hard. He went to college in Rhode Island. He went to law school in Massachusetts and ended up being the mayor of Cranston, Rhode Island. He served as a criminal prosecutor in the Narcotics and Organized Crime Unit of the Rhode Island Attorney General's Office, and he has run for governor of Rhode Island. I mean, come on. This is the dream. His family came here as immigrants. They gave everything for their kids, and look at what he was able to achieve. Most recently, Allen has run for Congress in Rhode Island. He was plastered all over every single newspaper and major cable network TV station and all over Rhode Island TV. I have a specific interest in Allen because I spent a lot of time in Rhode Island being um, a neighboring state in Massachusetts. And so um, our 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 rag of a newspaper covered a lot of Alan's race. Um, and Alan is married and his wife is an elected official, which is also another cool thing that I love. And I'll have to have her on at some point for the inside scoop on Rhode I on the Rhode Island legislature. Alan has been recognized nationally for his work fighting anti-Asian bias and for promoting Asian Americans in government. So Alan Thank you for joining me on Political Contessa. There 
I have so many questions for you and I have so much commentary on what I call the shit show of 2022. Um, you were someone who um, I just, I followed your race. I followed your races for governor of, of Rhode Island. And then when you decide to run for Congress by all accounts, you should have won that race. And, and, and I just, I think the world of you and you were very close to being victorious. All the polls showed that you were up. And at the end of the day, I believe that um, the big orange came out, opened his mouth and, you know, ended up where you were down, what, like a point and a half um, at the end. So welcome here. And thank you so much. Thank you for running for office. And thank you for being here on Political Contessa. And so now um, I'm going to open this up to you. What? Tell me all the good, the bad, the dirty, the evil of uh, of running for Congress in Rhode Island. Well, thanks, Jennifer, for having me on. Very excited to be on with your listeners. And yeah, we were oh so close uh, to becoming, you know, on the doorsteps of, you know, being a member of Congress. And I don't think... Uh, like you said during my intro, my parents, when they came over to this country, would ever envision their son being, you know, the mayor of our state's second largest city, never mind on the, you know, uh, doors of Congress, you know, when they came over back in 1969. But no, I can tell you, it was a wild ride, a lot of fun uh, throughout the campaign process, got a chance to talk to a lot of people, a lot of people that were hurting throughout not just Rhode Island, but throughout all of New England, throughout all of our country because of a lot of the failed policies of our current president and that Congress that was led by Nancy Pelosi. You know, we had a great time on the campaign trail talking to people, whether it was at the doors, fairs and festivals. And you're right, it felt a little odd because not only was it Rhode Island media covering it or even, you know, that Boston paper that we won't speak about, <laughs> but we had the national press, you know, pop their head in because they saw the polls and they couldn't believe it that, you know, in Rhode Island, a deep blue state hadn't had a Republican in this seat in 32 plus years uh, that I was knocking on that door and was on the verge of becoming a member. So we had uh, coverage from not only just Fox News, but New York Times, Washington Post, even CBS early edition came in. You know, I was like that little Martian that landed in Rhode Island. Everyone's going, we got to go see him. We got to go see him. <laughs> So, you know, I did have a lot of fun. And as you mentioned, uh, my wife's involved in politics, too. You know, the last cycle, she knocked off first time in a 114 year history of our state, the sitting Democratic Speaker of the House. So the two of us had a lot of fun on the campaign trail together. You know, it's great sharing that experience because, you know, we both support each other, both enjoy politics, both enjoy meeting people. So it was good. But, you know, it, it was tough. Tough because you hit the nail on the head towards the end. It was uh, that little orange guy popping his head up uh, just a week and a half before the election saying he was going to be declaring. And in a deep blue state like Rhode Island, just like Mass, just like every other state in Massachusetts, that hurts. That cuts, you know, into you know, not only my message, um, not only about what I want to do, but it diverts from who I am as a person, because, you know, I'm one of these more middle right type of guys, more that New England Republican. 
And now all of a sudden I'm back into that territory of defending, you know, what it means and who's in charge of the Republican Party. So, you know, close election, we're up on election day. And then when the mail ballots drop, ultimately, you know, we ended up losing close, you know, close race, lost by about three points overall, but still proud of the race that I, you know, ran, proud of the team that we had, had a lot of fun and, you know, wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. That's awesome. You touch upon a couple of things I want to go back to. So um, first of all is campaigning. The most important thing is to have fun, right? Because it's 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 a sport. You, someone wins and someone loses. And so if you're not having fun while you're doing it, it's kind of unfortunate because, you know, you, you get to meet so many great people and so many different people. And it actually gives you a platform to, you know, it's like, um, I always say I was the kid that, you know, when my parents would say, don't talk to strangers, I talk to strangers and I still like talking to strangers. And I feel like campaigning gives you a reason and a purpose to talk to strangers and to find out their stories and and to see kind of different ways that you can bring people together, bring communities together and and relate to those folks. And so um, it's great that you had fun. And that's what I try to tell my listener all the time is, you know, I want you to run for office and if not go work for someone and, and hopefully that person is the person you want to jump in front of a bus for, you know, that is the person that you would die on a sword for because you believe that they want the job and they really are enjoying it. And it's not just, you know, sit in the basement and, um, you know, record, record videos from your basement in the new campaign world that goes on. So it's nice to hear that you really enjoyed it. And the other part of that is having a supportive partner is really important because it is very difficult to run and have someone who is unhappy that, you know, you're working 24 seven, right? You still are a lawyer. You still were working at your job and you're campaigning and, you know, to have a supportive partner is really important. No, absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head. You meet so many wonderful people on the campaign trail. But what is so important about campaigning is you, as the candidate, become the voice for those individuals. You know, I had those, you know, moments where uh, one time just I had a, you know, grandmother crying on my shoulder because she didn't know um, how she was going to get by this winter, you know, trying to feed her family, feed herself, uh, how she's going to pay for those high prescription drug costs and, you know, these high energy costs that are going out of control. And on the campaign trail during our debates, I was telling her story, telling, you know, those experiences. And that's how you have to connect. And that's the that power that you have as a candidate, because not only are you meeting people, you have that opportunity to be a voice for them. And that's what I loved about it, because you're there, you're trying to be not only just the candidate and let people know who you are, but you have that opportunity to be a voice for them, too. And, you know, it was also cool, you know, during the campaign, we met a lot of great young people that were inspired and not just out of Rhode Island. We had a lot of students from Massachusetts, Connecticut, Vermont coming down on the weekends. In those final weeks, we had these large deployments. The last one was like 125 yeah. 
you know, students that came from, you know, all the different college all around, even a couple of people that flew up from uh, Washington, D.C. because they wanted to be part of this campaign and the excitement. And I got a chance to meet a lot of them. Believe me, though, I miss those college days because I did it. I remember those you know, days when I was on the campaign trail, too. It's a lot of fun. And we had a lot of fun. Uh, but one really hit hit home for me. There was a high school student and he turned out to be one of our best campaign volunteers. His name was Cole. He attends uh, one of our Catholic high schools here. He's a senior. And, you know, his parents sort of changing him because he became part of this campaign, believed in what we were trying to do. He was one of our field guys on the doors as a volunteer. And a lot of my my campaign manager, my field um, person was like, this kid's incredible. And it got to the point where he stopped doing his homework and his mom had to ground him from the campaign a little because he was doing a little too much. But it was all great. And you saw that inspiration and the parents, the family loved the fact that he was inspired, that he was you know, able to open up with uh, adults and be there talking at the doors about someone who that he believed in. And those are the moments that I won't ever forget because that's what campaigning is about. You know, you meet a lot of wonderful people. You have an opportunity to inspire people, but also be a voice for them. So, you know, wouldn't trade any of those moments. That is so cool. That I mean, that's totally what this is. Um, what I think being a candidate, you know, and being in 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 politics is about, though, is inspiring other people and especially inspiring another generation of potential leaders when they see that, you know, when they're able to work on a campaign and work for someone as smart and as well-rounded as you, right? It's one thing to just be smart. It's one thing to, you know, have achieved stuff. It's another thing to actually be someone who's well-rounded that people connect with. And, um, when you reminded me, when your campaign reminded me a lot of Scott Brown's winning United States Senate campaign in Massachusetts. And and I and that's probably one of the things that I was watching the closest was the energy around your campaign. But also like you were your face when you were on TV was like glowing. Like you had this look like it it felt good, right? You could feel it. And and you know, because you've been in politics for a long time and you've run campaigns and you know when there's no one around and you know when people are energized and it looked, uh, you looked, your presence looked like, holy cow, I feel it. I feel it around me. And when Scott Brown was running in 2009, um, he, it, it was like, you know, I, I remember having a conversation with John Cornyn and he said, no, he's Senator John Cornyn from Texas. And he said, no way, Scott Brown, you know, is never going to win. Of course, I'm saying this and sorry, Senator Cornyn, if you ever <laughs> listen to this, because he did apologize to me years later and said, you actually know what you're talking about. So that was like one of those. Wow. Look at me. <laughs> moments in politics. I knew what I was talking about. Um, but when Brown was running. We had caravans of people coming in from Canada because Brown was going to be one of the votes on Obamacare. And so they were coming over saying, you cannot let this pass because we, we come over here. Our wives come over here when we're having children, we come over here to the United States when we need good medical care. Do not let the U S become like Canada. 
We had people that came from California, from Colorado, from Florida, from all over the place, got hotels and were helping on Scott's campaign. And the excitement of that campaign was so cool. But what I will say is this, and for anyone who lives in a blue state and who has ever run for office or has worked on a campaign, you know that this is true. You need the stars and the sun and the moon and the water and everything to align. <laughs> you need it's like it's like magic, right? You need everything to be in line and nothing to go wrong. Right. And you were so close to every single star and sun and the moon and the water and everything being perfect until Trump came out and in it not once, but I, I mean, I think it was twice. It could have been three times, but he did it with Chuck Grassley in yeah. Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. Then he went to Ohio for J.D. Vance and he did it again. And I could only imagine what I mean, you know, Grassley was, of course, going to win, but I could only imagine what J.D. Vance was thinking when he's on stage next to Trump and Trump starts teasing that he's going to run for president right. during a campaign. I have never seen this before, by the way. <laughs> like You're out stumping for someone and you decide to talk about yourself right. and, and what your future political ambitions are. <laughs> Just, it was. Uh, and at that moment, I said, and, and again, like, I have, a, I have a special interest in Rhode Island because I know what it's like when we're living in New England, we're like kind of our own little microcosm, right? So it's right. like one win in one state. It was when Kelly Ayotte was the senator in yep. New Hampshire. It was like, well, I would say to her, you're my senator because <laughs> we don't have anyone. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey. <laughs> so I'm looking to neighboring states. I was looking up in Maine at Bruce Poliquin. I'm like, okay, yep. if Bruce is in Maine and you're in Rhode Island, we are safe. <laughs> at least we have two people. And yeah. he came out and I just feel like that was the end because I I personally believe as a, and I fit into this category, you know, female, educated, newly moving to suburbia, you know, with, and, and listening to all of my friends, but everyone has been, all of us have been laser, laser focused on the economy and inflation, putting gas in the car, what those prices are, living in New England, how high, as you were saying about that grandmother that you were, you know, and I'm sure she was not the only one about the high heating costs for the winter. It's already freezing here. Um, you know, we are so focused on like going and buying eggs and seeing the price, going and putting gas in my car. Everything we do costs more, yet it's not like I'm getting paid twice as much to make up for all of the expenses. And I think women were so laser focused on those issues. I mean, I don't know how Providence and Cranston are right now. Boston, it, you know, we have a lot of homeless and drug abuse, but it crime, it's not, it's still, it's not at the level of New York or San Francisco or Chicago, but, you know, crime is an issue. We see what happened, you know, where we see you know, 2000 migrants a day coming over that border in Texas, um, things like that. 
And it it really had, I think, all of us saying there's going to be a Republican wave, not a wave. It's going to be a tidal wave. It's going to be a tsunami. We're going to blow the Democrats out of the water and and send not just Nancy Pelosi packing, but send Chuck Schumer packing. And I think if we if we had better messengers like you, better messengers like Lee Zeldin, right? right. A different generation people who understand what it's like, you know, in in the real world. I think though that you guys embody where we should go because you can communicate a message much differently than the messaging that was being communicated. And when um Trump came out and started teasing that, I felt like everyone was going to be dead. Like anyone who was just going to make it. And listen, a win is a win, right? Whether you win yeah. by 0.5 or you win by five or 50, a win is a win. And I was like, okay, well, hopefully like with Alan, he's a moderate conservative, you know, in New England, like that is exactly what everyone wants. A fiscal conservative who's moderate on the social issues. And um, it just, I'm so resentful. I'm so resentful because I feel like it really did damage to a lot of our great candidates. No, it, it, and I can tell you, you know, this was probably the toughest one. I, you know, I run for governor twice before. I came close on the governorships, and but this one hurt because you're right. You know, a lot of what the initial forecasts were, where we had a great group of candidates. You know, you mentioned a couple of them, and uh, you know, Bruce up in Maine, who I've known even before this run. He's a great guy. He's the Energizer Bunny. Uh, you know, another uh, wonderful person in New England, and you know, in Connecticut, we had George Logan, who another another one that came. Another one. Yeah. And then you had Lee doing what he was doing. And, you know, Lee inspiring, you know, more people to say, look, we can get this done. And, you know, they ended up, fortunately, you know, for the Northeast, New York was able to pull out at least 11, you know, of those seats. But in New England, what's sad about it is, you know, we're still at that point where we don't have a single Republican in the House of Representatives. And you're right. You know, we already had a big challenge going against us because of that Dobbs decision. You know, the timing of it definitely hurts. Sometimes you can't control that. But when you add on top of that, you know, the Trump factor, you know, they're playing not even Trump. You know, my opponent was playing the MAGA Republican, the Trump MAGA Republicans, and trying to really use those scare tactics and it changes a lot of the narratives. And we all know what happens when you, this was one of the most expensive race in um, our state's history uh, for a congressional district because one media market, but in any event, we're just, you know, spending money and enough of those negatives and some people believe it. And that's what ended up happening. You know, uh, even though I am on some of those uh, social issues like abortion, um, more middle of the road with the majority of people, you know, they wanted to paint me as, oh, no, he is, you know, going to take away your rights, even though it's codified in Rhode Island law. And I wouldn't support any type of national abortion ban. So it puts you too much on the defensive when the priorities really had to be, you know, the economy, 
what people are living through, not just then, but now. And that red wave never really came. And it really hit us particularly hard in these deep blue states where, you know, when you're on the defensive with your messaging because of other outside factors that could have been controlled, it hurts. And, you know, right now in New England, we don't have a single balance, you know, a balance with a Republican voice that, you know, that's centrist to grow out that middle in Washington, D.C., which is what I think we need more of as a country, you know, so that we're not ping ponging to the extremes on the Democrat or Republican side. It's more of the middle working on priority issues like our economy, like energy, like, you know, many of these other um, issues that are popping up every single day that business owners face that we have to drive to make sure that we're all doing the right things for each other. So that's the disappointing thing. And that's the tough part about campaigns, because there are a lot of factors that are beyond sometimes to control. And in a deep blue state like this, no matter how perfect of a campaign you end up running, there's things like, you know, that individual who I can't even stomach talking about, you know, popping his head up and now announcing. Right. And it, it I think it really hurts us. I mean, to you know, I, I someone said to me, don't sound so much like Biden, you know, with the democracy stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, I live in New England. <laughs> and so when my version of democracy is a two party system. And right. so. I believe that there should be Republicans and Democrats and you might be a Democrat. I I mean, I love this. One of one of my colleagues um, who I get along with great, but I was I was harassing her on a show about the Democrats taking over Massachusetts and there not being any political diversity. And the response was, of course, it's diverse. We all have very different views. And I'm like, wait a second. So are you going to say that it's democracy when there's one party rule? Like, I mean, that's actually that's actually how they're spinning it. Like, well, you have Ayanna Presley on one end and Steve Lynch on the other. And I'm like, oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> like, that's, so that's our political diversity is like the union Democrat liberal who's been in Congress forever because he's not as liberal as Ayanna Presley. Like, I don't I don't really see that. And it is sad that we have I mean, democracy is representation, right, right? By the people for the people. And it's supposed to be representative. And there's nothing representative about our our members in the House of Representatives. And, you know, what you're saying, George Logan, he would have been an amazing choice in Connecticut. And I just think that if the, you know, it's all, it's almost as if the national team would just leave New England alone and let all of us run our own messaging system up here, right? It would be so much better because I do think that it gets so murky and, and Trump coming out he, even though I like his policies, his persona is so obnoxious that as soon as he reared his ugly head, I think women were like, uh, yeah, I'm really concerned about the economy and inflation and crime, but I'm really concerned about my body. I'm concerned about my kids. I'm concerned about health care. I'm concerned about, you know, a bunch of people like him. I mean, I just heard Jim Jordan, you know, talking about this Congress that, you know, first thing, first order of business is going after Hunter Biden. Like that's our first order of business. You've got to be kidding me. Right. Which is what people I think as soon as Trump picked up his head, I think that's what people worried about. In the meantime, what I say is if folks like you and Bruce and George were elected to Congress, 
there's other people there. And I think you said this in one of the articles that I read, or someone said it about you. You are able to bring a different discussion. You're able to grab other folks from other places and say, you know, how about we band together and let's get some Democrats that are also in the center and let's build out policy that is good for all Americans instead of who's getting the Twitter clicks, who's getting, you know, on the the national cable news stations, right? We need less of that and we need more of you. So, um, so here's a trick question. Um, What do we do from here? Excuse me. What do we do from here? What do New England Republicans do from this point forward? And how do we, how do we get ourselves on a path to being successful and having candidates like yourself win in the future? You know, two things, you know, don't give up. You know, I've been fighting for a long time now and I, I've got a lot of the results that I can show of what I did uh, in Cranston, a city that we turned around, a city that was hurting financially and we turned it into one of the best cities to live in America. And that's under, you know, the type of policies that, you, myself, many others across the country believe in fiscal sanity, bring that, you know, to the forefront, you know, lean into the, our strengths that we have, but, you know, not be afraid and give up because that's one of the things that, you know, if we do give up and more of us start, you know, moving to whether it's red state, purple states or whatever it is, you know, this is going to be an area This is going to continue to be that deep blue. And that's not right. That's not you know, um, you know, a good government for it. And in fact, one of our former um, union leaders here, the head of the NEA, uh, said on one of the talk shows, because, you know, renowns just like Massachusetts, not just a Democratic majority, a super majority. And that's not healthy, because you always have to have the other side to kind of weigh in, to provide that balance, that counterbalance, and hopefully come together and, you know, work on legislation that's going to be best for all, or work on that budget that's going to be best for all. And it's got to be a lot of give and take. Uh, So not giving up, continue to be involved, continue to grow uh, voices like George, like Bruce, like myself, uh, like Charlie Baker, Sununu, make sure that, you know, there's more of that instead of marginalizing it. Because I've seen it even here, you know, in the past where uh, individuals like myself, you know, you've got certain factions within the party that want us out. No, I want that bigger tent. And I think that's a priority. The second step is I think we have to, as Republicans, get smart and play this game because let's face it. Elections are, it's a numbers game. Whoever gets to 50 plus one or whatever the majority number is, depending on how, you know, your state, you know, aligns, it's, uh, it's a game that you have to play well, get to that magic number in order for you to do good and govern. And we've got to play, you know, this game because in Rhode Island, and we're here this on the national level too, uh, where Republicans haven't learned to play that game is on mail ballots. It hurt us. You know, this is where I was leading on Election Day, still keeping, you know, uh, the lead when the early voting uh, tabulations that come in. But then when the mail ballots drop, we just got killed. And this is where, you know, if it's legal, 
let's learn to, you know, process why, play that game, do it legally, and make sure that we're not getting killed and complain about it. You know, this is where I think from a process standpoint, we've got to continue to be committed, but most importantly, you know, adapt, adapt to what the law is, and that's how we're going to survive. Otherwise, we're going to be these dinosaurs in New England. Yep, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we can't give up. Our our state parties, I mean, here in Massachusetts, you know, they think that the state GOP leadership believes that we live in Alabama and you know, should should have the same messaging as they do. And he has said, the state party chair has said, he doesn't care about winning elections. He just wants to teach people a lesson. <laughs> I didn't know that that meant you should be a state party chair. I feel like you should be a civics teacher. Like, I, I don't know what you're doing as chair, but when I was chair, we won elections. And so, you exactly. know, that's, and, and my hope is what yours is, is that this motivates people even more. And especially more folks like us who say, you know, we have to have those bipartisan discussions. We can't just have the fringes out there. I think that's one of the problems with our primary process too and what I try to tell people is vote in primaries because otherwise you only get the fringes and, you know, it's 20 percent that decide who goes on and advances to the general election. And, you know, it's not it, it's not as at least here, it has not worked out very well for us in the past couple of primaries. And so, um, you know, get active, go vote in those primaries. But the other thing I noticed in this election cycle is that. There's no October surprise anymore. Like there can't be, right? Because of the early voting and the yeah. mail-in ballots. And so you need to deliver your message in August. You need to right. deliver your message in May. You need to deliver it before that early voting period starts, right? September for for here in Massachusetts, we have a very late primary, which is one of the problems. And so you have the late primary and then there starts early voting, you know, in early October, right after Columbus Day. So if you don't get your message out in that short period of time and people start voting, then there's if you come out with something on Halloween, which used to be, you know, kind of like you drop it at the very last minute. Right. No one. The votes have already been cast. And so I think that that makes it really hard. And I and I do think instead of us complaining, which I feel like Republican, the Republican parties around the country have always been good at. Oh, that's not fair. We don't agree with that. We're going to challenge that. You know, it's lying. It's this. It's that. Instead of us doing that, we need to actually learn how to get to where they are. Right. Right. And so I remember um, and you probably remember this in 2008 when Obama was running and like anyone who signed up for DNC text emails or was on a list all of a sudden was like, oh, my God, I'm getting text messages from Barack Obama. I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What are you getting? And right away, I was like, "Uh, hey, there's this thing that the Democrats are doing that we're not doing. (laughs) So how do we get on that and how do we get those lists? And so we always seem to be behind the eight ball. Um, and, and I think it's really important for, you know, whoever is dealing with whether it's the RNC, our local parties, our town, you know, town, um, you know, RTC chairs and stuff to really kind of look at how we can 
also get into that process of uh, and now it's the ballots, right? It's the yeah. early voting and it's the mail in ballots. Yeah. And it's it's tough. It's an education process, too, because um, and there are a lot of Republicans that we identify that are tend to be those um you know, lower propensities that only like to vote in the presidential or, you know, or based on one issue. And but they don't realize that, yeah, we need their votes. And we were trying to identify them, get them out. Hey, look, vote by mail. Vote early. No, if I vote, I'm going to vote on Election Day. Well, then we're chasing them on Election Day if they're not showing yes. up. And that's where we got to start educating to say, look, this is what the Democrats are doing. They're doing it in a lot of different ways. Like you mentioned, back then, the technology, well, that technology is even getting refined even more. And it's funny because as we're out on the campaign trail, uh, you see who the swing voters are and you hear it as you're out there, whether it's at their doors or at fairs and festivals. Oh, will you guys please stop with the mail? Will you guys please stop with the text? Well, you just look at them, well, you're a swing voter. And, you know, it's your what both campaigns are trying to chase after for their vote. And we're trying to let you know where we stand on issues because, you know, we've identified you and it's all data driven and it works. It really does work. And, you know, that's where as Republicans, we also have to change our mindsets to say, you know, that clock, like you said, isn't just on Election Day anymore. You know, when we planned out for our campaign, that calendar we had to plan out for early voting and make sure we get our messages and mailers and text and social media, everything, you know, planned for when they started voting early and then when they started voting by mail ballots. And this is where, you know, we just got to continue to adapt uh, to survive. <sighs> yes. And it does it does feel like we're we're dinosaurs sometimes. And it does feel like, you know, you're right. It's like survival of the fittest. Right. At, at some point, you need to adapt. You need to modernize. Um, and, and again, for me, you know, that is bring on the new generation of leaders, bring on us Gen Xers. Right. We've we've yeah. been all sitting around doing our homework, listening to our parents, going to school, getting jobs, moving up in our jobs, you know, building the American dream yeah. and and have figured out like we have relationships we talk to people we we weren't stuck on our phones when we were kids we have deep relationships in different places and and also an understanding that we don't know everything right we're right. not we're not at a, at the point where i know better than you you know and, <laughs> and and we're not on either end i feel like both ends like sandwiched in between the I know better than you and the kids that are going, I know more than you do. Right. right. So, <laughs> so I say, give us a chance because we know what we don't know. Yeah. We want to be successful. We're not, most of us are not abrasive and gruff and, you know, we're, we're kind and we are generous and we really believe in a better world for, you know, to take care of our parents' generation and to take care of the generations behind us. And um, I'm hoping that maybe the Republican Party does some self-reflection at this point and um, some people move on and leave spaces open for new leadership, new messengers, 
Um, I hope one of those, you know, messengers on a national level is you, um, you know, in some capacity, because I think you are able to communicate kind of, again, like the ecosystem and the microcosm that is New England in such a wonderful way in presenting in and just being polished and well-spoken and kind and, you know, just really a great person. And so um, I hope that you don't go away. I hope that you <laughs> stay out there and hopefully, you know, the brainiacs in Washington um, <laughs> figure out a way to get you to um, deliver our message a little bit more. No, don't, don't worry about it. I'll still stay involved. You know, that's the one thing, you know, you go through a lot of you know, being in the minority party, a lot of ups and downs, you know, throughout the type. But most importantly is you got to stay committed because, you know, when you're in the process and that's just what I want to, you know, let your listeners know, too. It's not just being as a candidate sometimes because, you know, it's not being candidate isn't for everyone. You know, it's like you said, there's so many people that love supporting candidates, but there's other ways to get involved, too, to start that process whether it's even on serving on a local board or commission to a state, you know, wide commission, or, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can utilize your talents, your thoughts, you know, to provide and make a difference, whether it's in your backyard or whether it's for your state or for your country. And, you know, hopefully I can continue to be that voice because, you know, it, one of the great things about, you know, being Asian is with everything that was going on, um, you know, a few years ago with a lot of that anti-Asian violence that was, in, you know, people knew who I was. I was able to be a voice for our community. And sometimes it's just uh, timing and opportunity. So, you know, for me, I'm going to continue to lend my voice as a Republican. I'm not going anywhere, Excellent. not just here in New England, but, you know, wherever I'm needed, because, you know, we need good people involved. And the one thing I will say is, you know, I got a chance to meet not just George, Bruce, other people in England, but a lot of good people across the country. I was proud of, you know, this young gun class that the National Republican Congressional Committee put together. I saw a lot of fresh faces, a lot of diverse faces that are out there. Hopefully we can grow the party with more Asians, you know, more Hispanics, Latinos, um, more, you know, just different people that's growing. That's that fastest growing part of our country coming into the party, because in the end, we all share a lot of family values. A lot of us are business owners, and this is how we've got to continue to grow and be who we are, but make sure that we're as a party, not that old dinosaur that we used to be and afraid to adapt to change. Hallelujah. I I couldn't agree more. I, I think that that is, it's so important for us to be able to be um, flexible and, you know, to be able to recognize that there are lots of different voices and we need everyone and that's democracy, right? I mean, you know, to, to be able to have all those different voices and to respect them and, um, well, Alan, I am a gigantic fan. I um, I look forward to uh, seeing what comes next for you and where you land up. And hopefully um, I'll get your wife on soon. Sounds um, good. 
She's the one I, you know, that made history (laughs) and I'm really proud of it. She's, she is a rock star. She is definitely, you both are rock stars. I mean, I, I, I think, I think you guys are kind of a power couple. So I really appreciate you being on with me today on Political Contessa. And hopefully we'll get to do this again. You know, we have a lot of fun coming up in the next two years, but I think you need to probably go on a nice long awaited vacation and get some rest. But again, I think there's a lot more to come. So thank you so much. Thanks, Jennifer. This is Alan Fung. He is former mayor of Cranston, Rhode Island. He has run for governor of Rhode Island, just recently ran for Congress, had an amazing race, almost was able to pull it out and be one of our members of Congress from New England. And we really, really needed him. But I'm excited that I actually got to know Alan. And this has been a pleasure and an honor to be able to have him with me today on Political Contessa. So thank you for listening to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, your Political Contessa. Stay happy, healthy, and safe, and happy holidays. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. 